Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Matchmaking, right, is as old as time. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. You know, Fiddler on the Roof style, matchmaking's been around forever. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch, and today's show is a fun one. (laughs) Every matchmaker I talked to was like, D.C. is such a great city for dating. This is journalist Jessica Goldstein. Which, of course, is not something you hear a lot from people who live here and date. And we're not talking about Bumble and Tinder D.C. here. We're talking thousands of dollars a month to get set up on dates, D.C., You know, each of these matchmakers is working with, let's just say, eight clients at a time. And if they know that they have a client who is looking for a certain type, like a certain physical type, they'll go to that Starbucks and they'll just hang out. And if they see somebody who meets that type and they don't see a wedding ring, they'll just walk up to him and be like, hey, I'm a matchmaker. Do you have a minute? On the show today, inside the expensive, awkward, and sometimes even romantic world of power players using matchmaking services in D.C. So swipe right, swipe left, whatever, but keep listening. You have this amazing piece on D.C. matchmaking services. How long have some of these services been around? Some of these that I was reporting on and talking about are relatively new, like since the year 2000. I think part of their resurgence, it's not so much that the services are new, but that the people using them have changed. When I talked to the folks Mm -hmm. over at Three Day Rule, they talked about how when they launched, there were lots of people who were 35 and up making up kind of the lion's share of their marketplace. And now they're seeing as the years go by, younger and younger people seeking out these services. And I do think part of that is For people who are in their 20s, like the novelty of the apps is gone. Long gone. And it's possible that they have already tried, that they've already tried those methods of meeting people and found them wanting in some way. Mm -hmm. And the three-day rule is one of the matchmaking companies, and it's named after the quote-unquote don't call after three days, the three-day rule, right? Yes. It's named for that like joke from Swinger's. What's funny is that when I talked to Talia Goldstein, who's the founder of Three Day Rule, it was one of those, like, we sort of named it, ironically, it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek because that is really the opposite of any, any dating expert would tell you, do not wait three days to contact someone that you like. Right. So who is using these matchmaking services? So... The uh, the people who we really focused on for purposes of the story are people who, for lots of different reasons, need some assistance in being able to find love, whether that's because their jobs are super demanding and time-consuming and they're traveling constantly. And so there are people who are maybe used to outsourcing other intimate parts of their lives to assistants or interns, and so this doesn't seem like so unusual. Um, there are people who are a bit more famous, some bold-faced names who feel that they cannot be on an app or on a dating site who are probably worried about somebody like screenshotting that and posting it on Twitter and blowing up their spot. Um, And these services are expensive. So you're talking either about people who are in a place to spend thousands of dollars a month on a matchmaking service or people whose parents are willing to do that for them. 
Okay, so if I was someone that wanted to date through these services, how much is that going to set me back? Mm, Okay, so three-day rule, which is I think kind of the dominant game in town here, Mm -hmm. Um, and they're a national outfit as well, but they have like a D.C. branch. Mm -hmm. They launched the D.C. branch in 2015, and so in order to become a client at three-day rule, which means that they guarantee a minimum of one match per month – And there's coaching. They'll also do a photo shoot with you. And they do these like post-date debriefs. That Mm -hmm. costs almost $6,000 for three months or close to $10,000 for six months. And they have VIP packages, which start at about $18,500. Those let daters, those are, I I think of that sort of as like the control freak special. That's like, (laughs) if you really don't you don't want to outsource exactly. You want to have right. a hand in who the matches are going to be. And how wide is the spectrum of people using this? Yeah, it's a really fascinating mix of people. You know, probably the majority of folks who use a service like this are not not people who would be unfamiliar to any of us. It's like a lot of lawyers, you know, <laughs> a lot of consultants. But about 25% of like three-day rules clientele are what one of the matchmakers described to me as very elite, high-profile power players in the DC scene. So that includes TV hosts, ambassadors, children of senators, people who are really high up at Treasury, IMF, the SEC, folks at political consulting firms, Mm. owner of a DC sports team, politicians who are running for office, who are looking for someone they can essentially have like a campaign trail plus one. And when you think about like, why is somebody hoping to find love this way? Part of it is that they want the matchmaker to do a lot of vetting on their behalf. Different people are kind of hoping to be matched with different, of course, different types. And so one of the matchmakers I talked to who specializes in LGBTQ matches was saying that She's like, there are people where part of the dream for them is to be one half of a power couple. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what they're hoping to get. They're hoping to be at the correspondence dinner with this person, at the Kennedy Center with this person, on a red carpet with this person. Of course, there are other people where they are using a matchmaking service because they want everything in their lives to be much more discreet and quiet. Mm -hmm. So that's not, that's not to say that that's what everyone's looking for, but there's certainly, there's a group that wants that for sure. Who in general do their clients kind of want to date? Were there certain people or certain types that, were especially attractive. Yes. So it's, I laugh just because it sounds sort of cliche, but a lot of the things that you might expect about Washington do bear out in what people ask for. And of course, as we all know or need to learn what we think we want and what will actually make us happy or not, that Venn diagram can be like two circles. Mm -hmm. But what do people ask for? In DC specifically, people care a lot about impressive educational pedigrees. They want an Ivy League degree or Stanford. A lot of women are interested in being matched with men who at least have a master's degree, Mm. which is sort of, it's sort of like an odd thing to be so specific about, but um, that's on a lot of people's lists. There are people who care a lot about the income of their potential partner. One of the matchmakers I spoke with said that, I loved this quote. She said, there's a total disdain for complacency in the average Washingtonian. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody talks about finding someone who's ambitious, someone who's hardworking. Unsurprisingly, given the makeup of our city, the number one deal breaker that people mention is they do not want to date a Donald Trump supporter. Right. That was a really interesting thing in your piece about how people present themselves politically and that people are 
oftentimes actively looking to distance themselves from their bosses. I mean, something we definitely saw in the Trump era. Well, first of all, everybody who's been on the apps, I think this is a truism. Now we all know that moderate is a euphemism for conservative. (laughs) And it's true that what I we're now sort of referring to is like the Romney Republicans who would absolutely date someone who is more progressive than they are. Mm-hmm. But people who are more progressive are really not about dating someone who would say vote for a moderate Republican who wouldn't support Roe v. Wade or who doesn't care about climate change or doesn't care about Black Lives Matter. Like those are deal breakers for a lot of liberals and progressives in D.C., You know, one of the groups that I really loved hearing about who aren't based in D.C. but want to be matched with people in D.C., like that there are folks in L.A. They told me about this one person in L.A. who is convinced, like a political fundraiser, who's like the the person for me. She is in D.C. And I'll move for her when you introduce me to her. There's no way she's in L.A. And another group that I really liked hearing about were these like very wealthy women who don't care about the income of their partner at all because they're like heiresses Uh and they just want to meet. They all kind of live, like a lot of them live in the middle of the country, but the men with whom they'd be matched might live here in DC. And they're like, I just want to meet like a nice guy who would be comfortable talking to a billionaire. (laughs) One of the funniest things that I learned in this reporting is that so many women asked three day rule matchmakers about Andrew Cuomo In the early days of the pandemic, when he was just sitting in front of that PowerPoint telling everybody today is Wednesday, people were like, he's so commanding. And this is, you know, before uh, he resigned amid all these allegations of sexual harassment. And it just shows that, like, people who thought that they were attracted to him didn't really know anything about who he is in real life. So where do they find these people for their clients? There should be a spotlight about the way that matchmakers find the matches because they're willing to do stuff that I'm like, that's, they're willing to do a lot. They will go on LinkedIn and they'll look for people who have degrees from those universities that people consider to be elite and prestigious. They will go on next door and they will try to find homeowners in affluent zip codes. They'll go on Legistorm and they will look up congressional staffers' biographies, their salaries, their contact information. They'll like stake out spots in the city that they know are, this is sort of pre-pandemic, but that are like hot spots, like during lunch hour, like the Farragut Square food truck Uh neighborhood, the Starbucks at L'Enfant Plaza, the Firehook on Capitol Hill. And they also find people on the what I would consider like the the socialite circuit. You know, they'll go to like galas, they'll go to fundraisers, they'll go, the Correspondence Center is like their Super Bowl. Yeah. Anything that if Gossip Girl had been set in D.C., they would have built an episode around. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of parties. Was it hard for you to to find people to talk to you for this? Or did you find that it was relatively easy to to talk to the people at the matchmaking services? They just like wouldn't discuss their clientele. The matchmakers were absolutely delighted to talk about their work. What's interesting, too, the question of, like, why do all these clients need anonymity 
at the core there, there's something about the idea that being single is shameful or embarrassing or salacious Hmm. and that actively seeking love is also shameful, embarrassing, or salacious. If this were an article about wedding planning, I don't think it would be hard to find people to say their full names on the record and talk about how they planned their weddings. Mm -hmm. But because it's about dating, there's this idea that somehow – being single is completely incongruous with being somebody who can be taken seriously. And DC is a very image conscious city. Yes, yes. Or with being somebody who can run for office. Like there's just this very kind of puritanical and snobby and absurd notion that singledom is juvenile and frivolous and self-indulgent and sloppy. And that coupledom is like correct. So the fact that clients wouldn't talk to me and that I couldn't get names it disappoints me, but it doesn't surprise me at all because that's like the cultural attitudes around singledom and dating. And in a better world, we wouldn't treat people as if being single were something that they need to feel badly about. And we would be more open to the idea that even our elected officials and our newscasters and all these other people who we try to endow with some sense of public trust, that There's nothing kind of wrong or weird about them being humans who go on dates and make out in Ubers and, you know, and have to think about what to text somebody the next day. Those are all like real valid parts of the human experience and there shouldn't be anything taboo about that. Jessica Goldstein, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Also in the news, the Food and Drug Administration on Thursday ordered Juul to take all of its vapes off the market. The agency decided that the company's applications failed to show that their products are appropriate for the protection of public health. Juul says that it intends to litigate the order. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Madhavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>